Back fans, friends, and followers to the Bannerman Podcast. This is episode nine, and likely one of the more bittersweet episodes we'll be doing on this roller coaster ride called the NHL season. Vardy, how you holding up, buddy? I think bittersweet is a fantastic term. I, I feel like I just bit this delicious, delicious donut and had it spew tar in my mouth Ooh. instead of delicious jelly. Last episode, we kind of broke down. The three most recent games the team played. And I think it would be unfair to go that route uh, for this episode. Because the Wednesday night game against Montreal really had so much, or so many peaks and valleys. Uh, so many important moments going on in that game. That I think a chunk of this episode will be going to the Montreal game. So right off the bat, Vardy, uh, let's let's talk about the game. The Kings won 5-1, to one, right? That did happen. They did. That, that <laughs> happened. That, that did, did happen. happen. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Adrian Kempe, um, the story of the game, depending on your perspective, I guess, the story of the game was probably his performance. First career hat trick, first three goals of the season. I don't think he had a point up until this game, and now he has four, I believe. What were your thoughts on young Adrian's performance, Vardy? I mean, I'll be honest with you, just like the rest of the team, I think for the first couple periods, it was so back and forth. I really, I I wasn't sure if this was going to end up being one of those games where a random backup goaltender ends up, you know, standing on his head and beating the Kings, which which does happen from time to time. Um, and because there was a few chances as well from Montreal's standpoint where I, I thought they could have very easily had a goal and, and, and quick kind of kept us in it. Um, but thankfully, the Kings, you know, got ahead on on Camilleri's little uh, bat down base hit down the middle, um, which ended up going in, and they never looked back. And so, um, the third period was obviously the big story of the game for for the Kings in terms of offensive output, and it was just nice to finally see him, uh, him being uh, Adrian Kempe, put it all together, man. I mean, it's just it was- you know, you've seen we've talked about this. A couple times now how there's just flashes how you just see it and it's just you know for a split second there's two or three strides and and maybe a zone entry and then it kind of falls apart or something just doesn't happen and to finally see it all come together in one game and in an arguably a pretty important game I, I realize that Montreal isn't exactly uh, a high quality opponent uh, right now and, uh, you know, Mike Milbury was ever so kind in the post game to, to remind everyone that, in his opinion, the Kings haven't played anyone of importance. Um, but it's still, you know, those are the games that the Kings would lose last season and the, and the ones before. It was, it was all these games that they were supposed to be getting the points, uh, you know, against their weaker opponents, and they would lose them. And then you'd show up at the end of the season and miss the playoffs by four points here or six points there, and you'd look back and be like, man, if we had just beat Detroit, like, we should have that game. Or, right, right. man, that Ottawa game, how did that get away from us? I get it. I get that they're not exactly, you know, beating all-star teams right now, but it's important that they're beating the teams that they're supposed to be beating. And so to go into the third period and have it – you know, still be kind of a shaky game and, and find that killer instinct and put it away. And to, for it to come from Adrian Kempe, of all people who we've been ragging on a little bit or just waiting for him to kind of to break out and show us 
the, a complete game. This is the, without question, this is the best NHL game he's played. I don't no question think, in my I mind. I think it's the best pro game he's probably ever played. Uh, probably. I mean, probably. he's had a hat trick in the AHL, and it was, if I'm not mistaken, the first hat trick in the history of the Ontario Reign or something nutty like that. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, but no, it's, again, last episode we, we kind of touched on Camilleri and Kempe, right? We, we kind of said we expect more for them. In Camilleri's case, we were a little bit more harsh. So our eat crow per 60 percentage remains very Just keeps high. climbing, buddy. Very, very high. And and we're cool with that. In, in, in Adrian Kempe's case, man, especially his second goal, right? His second goal where he... I don't want to say it was a foot race because I think he had a step on... It was Andrew Shaw, of all people, last man back for Montreal, which gives you a glimpse mm-hmm. of their issues right now, where if Andrew right. Shaw's your last man back on, on that play. But, you know, it's it's like as close to posterizing a player in hockey as you can get. You know, in the NBA, there's the posterize where you dunk on someone yep. and it turns into a poster. To me, that play where Shaw is diving, breaking his stick on his ankle, essentially, and Kempe has... Pretty much the skill and the presence of mind to wait it out and go roof on Montoya. Like, that could be a very, very important moment. Just that moment in time, right? Could be very important for his career. With young guys, guys his age, it's so important to get confident, right? It's so important to get the ball rolling. And it's funny, after he scores that first one, it's almost like the puck found him. The puck found right. him on the next two goals. The, you know, he's he had a swagger about him. He was skating more confidently. And, and that's really what it is at that age. And... Even as you get older in the NHL, right? Like, if you're cold, if you're struggling, it's really amazing what one solid play can do for you. So, what I hope for, I'm sure what you hope for, what we all hope for, is that he now builds on this. We were talking about that he finds a groove, that he finds consistency, that he finds something that he could latch onto moving forward. And I can't think of a better scenario than this for him now as a springboard for the rest of the season for him to be that top six forward that the Kings always believed he could be, and frankly, with the other events of the game, the Kings probably are going to need him to be in the foreseeable future now. Yeah, and and just to kind of back it up just a little bit before we before we start talking about uh, the bad stuff, um, the first goal that he had was a good play with him and Lewis. That I I swear I watched that replay like five times before yeah. I finally saw where that puck went in, and and that play and the shot he got off, I I just. Before the ref signaled that it was in, I just felt instantly just so deflated for him because I was like, man, that that is exactly the type of chance that he needs to really get a goal, get something going. And thankfully, it, it actually was a goal. I, I finally saw it sneak in on, on just inside the post before Montoya brought his pad out with the with the puck on it. It's not, It's like it's just like you said, and I, I think anyone who's, who's played will tell you that you know if you go three four games. And you're just not getting the chances. And then, you know, as a pro, if, you know, you have a coach and someone's relegating the ice time, you're just not getting the ice time because you're not getting the chances. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Like the pros like to say you grip your stick a little tighter. And, and, and Kempe said it as well in his postgame, uh, you know, comments that sometimes you just end up trying so hard. You try so hard. You try so hard that it just never comes around. And you just need something to go right to help you loosen up. And just like you said, he gets that first one and all of a sudden the puck finds him and he gets that step and he and he has that patient, you know, highlight reel goal, which it, it is without question. That's a highlight reel goal for anyone in the NHL. 
you throw in the extra added flair of having a broken stick kind of trailing off of your front skate. I mean, it just, it's a beautiful image, but the one, the one thing that it reminded me of in a lot of ways was, um, was Kopitar's, uh, first very, yeah. goal. Very much so. Where, very much so. Where he, you know, where he out, he kind of outweighed Pronger and, uh, was Jaguar net at that time? I think it was Jaguar. It was, net at yeah. That time. It was. And it was it obviously without that same uh, nasty speed that can't be showed on Shaw, but with a very similar patience and waiting out the defender and the goaltender and roofing it. And it was it's one of those goals that you watch and you think to yourself, this isn't someone without talent. This is a guy who has the ability. And, you know, and the third goal was it was a great loose puck that kind of got fished out to him in the in the slot by Camilleri almost accidentally but it was a rolling puck and if you look at that that is such a hard play to make quite frankly because it's a rolling puck coming up the slot and you're shooting it as a left-hand shot from the left side to the opposite post and he just absolutely hammers it perfectly where it needs to go and it's just the kids got skill. There's never been a question of that. You just really hope, like you said, that it all keeps kind of snowballing from here and it comes together in a way that the Kings and I think all of us are hoping that it will. Because, as you mentioned, there was a very, very grim and sad, sad times moment from the game. Yeah, and I was actually at the game. Uh, I, I was fortunate enough to have, to get some tickets. Our buddy, friend of the show, The Boomerang, always hooking it up for us. The banner always man. coming through. Always coming through. Big man boomer. The Carter, the play happened, right, on the boards. End of the first period. I think there was like three seconds left in the period or something. It was it was a 30 seconds maybe. I'm not sure. But he, the, the first image I saw was him just looking down at his skate. And I was like, oh, okay, he probably lost the blade or something. Because that happens now with skates. The, the blade flies off. And he kept mm-hmm. checking his skate. He kept checking his skate. And, and he skated off. And he didn't limp he didn't hobble it wasn't there was no sign of pain discomfort anything from him so your initial thought is he's fine there's you know a few seconds left he's probably just gone there's no point in staying on the bench he's probably gonna you know whatever going to get repairs and then the second period begins and he's not on the bench and it's funny because the second period started and and from my seats i was more my eyes were searching for tofoli and not him because tofoli took that I don't know, questionable blindside hit from Galchenyuk. Replay shows mm-hmm. that it wasn't really that bad. And my eyes, my focus was on, okay, is, is Toffoli on the bench? And Toffoli was sure, on the bench. Sure. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, we're fine. And then I see Shore, Toffoli, and Pearson out. And that's... And, and, you, you, and the sad reality <laughs> yeah. starts setting in. And you get that sinking <laughs> feeling in your stomach. And, and I, again... I, my my seats were behind the bench, not close or anything, but my view, you know, I see all the numbers and whatever, and I don't see the 77 and, and the sinking feeling because your mind immediately goes to, okay, what the heck happened there? Because there wasn't, like, you know, there wasn't an impact where, like, he got injured. It wasn't, like, a knee tweak. It wasn't an ankle or anything. And then I naturally gravitated right to my Twitter, and I saw a couple of replays where it could have been a cut and that's when things get worrisome because of where the cut is because of historically where we've seen these cuts happen on NHL players that have caused real real problems Eric Carlson comes to mind right yeah right away absolutely. and he missed so much time so Vardy you're a doctor you're you're a <laughs> real doctor when you saw the replay did you immediately think that this is 
going to be serious? I mean, again, it's tough to tell because the one thing is you don't know if the if he's wearing the Kevlar undersocks, right? So yeah. a lot of the NHL players now, they wear the Kevlar undersocks that are designed to limit uh, cut injuries, just like the one that Carlson had and apparently just like the one that Carter had. So, um, so it's tough to t- – now, obviously, they don't 100% prevent it, but it's supposed to make it a lot less. And it wasn't quite the same severity – as when you see that Carlson replay of how Carlson's Achilles tendon got sliced, yes. I mean, it was almost like the the blade came right down like a butcher knife on the Carlson's back leg, and it was just immediately you knew from his face that this was bad. So I, I kind of had that same thought where, you know, you see his reaction, and it's almost like bewilderment on his face. Like, he's not really sure if something happened and and sometimes that happens to you when you play, you know, like you'll you'll get hit with a puck or you'll you'll go into the boards a little hard and you're like, did did that hurt? Because the adrenaline's going and you're not really sure unless it's a really, really severe injury. So I thought maybe, okay, it's it's maybe something. And then obviously the same idea that, well, when he didn't come out for the second, I thought, okay, you know, the angle maybe wasn't quite there because it was more the blade hitting the side of his leg than necessarily coming down on the back of it like it did with Carlson. Um, and obviously the first thing you think of is, is, is this an Achilles injury? Is he, did he slice through the tendon? Um, in which case, you know, you're going to have to have surgery. You're going to have to have it get stitched together. Um, and the repair time, you know, it could be anywhere from weeks to months, depending on if it's going through the entire thickness, full thickness of the tendon, or if it's just like a slight portion of it. Um, but I, I think we just recently, you know, and everyone's been kind of like fishing for updates on this and, and the Kings are, are being very mum about it. They just, you know, they said that Carter had surgery on it today. They're not specifically saying whether it was a tendon, whether it was musculature, what the deal was, because, um, you know, if I remember correctly, it was kind of the inside of the left skate, right? It was, Correct. It was it the was inside of his left foot. Yeah, it was behind... Um, I guess, I don't know, the back support where it goes all the way up to your right. chest. So it went inside right. inside that, inside his skin. Yeah. And, yeah, and so, yeah, you know, the problem, the problem is that when you get that, that inside, that medial portion of your foot, even if you're not getting the Achilles tendon, which is towards the back, the inside, um, the inside medial portion of it, right around there, you have this huge bundle of muscle tendons, nerves, and arteries all running within like a, an inch space all the way down to your foot. And so if he didn't get the Achilles tendon, that doesn't mean that he didn't injure one of those many other things that kind of sit in that little tunnel that you can injure. Um, and so I, I, it's, it's pure speculation until they say exactly what it was that he injured and what, you know, what type of surgery he had, which I think eventually they will. They're not going to say he's out with a lower body injury for seven months without giving any particular detail. Right. Um, but until we get some more news, it, 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 I don't know, man. I don't know. It's just because it's not the Achilles doesn't mean it can't be a host of other things that are going to require a lot of uh, repair and rehab time. Right. Just, uh, just curiosity, based on the fact that I think it was Lisa Dahlman who said it's probably not the Achilles or for sure it's not the Achilles. Yeah. So, and this is just curiosity's sake, if you were to ballpark it, right, if you were, if let's say it didn't get the Achilles, it got the other, you know, that in that tunnel you were talking about, if you had to say a minimum, what would be the minimum time you think he would be out? Again, it depends on the, the thickness, right? So if he, if he, 
if he gets the full thickness of one of the other tendons that runs around there and it's completely cut, that means you have to re-sew the whole thing. He's going to be in a walking boot for several weeks and then rehab it until he gets the strength back because every time you're pushing off on your skate, you're flexing that portion of your muscles and, and that tendon is pulling your foot up, right? Like if you're towing off, especially a guy like Carter who gets everything out of every stride, like he's going to feel significant limitation. So if it's something to that effect, and I mean you could just read between the lines based on the fact that the Kings didn't even give a timeline. They just said indefinitely. Yep. And this, this, it could go months. It could sincerely, it can go months. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's, God, you know, it reminds you, it takes you back to last season and Jonathan Quick. That, that's the first. Yep. I, I, you know, I don't want to boo-hoo about a 5-0-1 team and be like, here we go again, you know, us again, why us, or anything like that. But, man, to go back-to-back seasons like that with injuries like that and, and clearly Quick, based on the position is the more significant injury no matter you know how you slice it but oh bad choice of words i didn't mean that guys i'm not that clever <laughs> trust me not that clever but no um the, the center depth of the kings just took a devastating blow and as as great as adrian kempe was wednesday night um as great as kopitar has been nick shores look good you you just cannot replace that guy you cannot replace jeff carter in the lineup now they might call up mike amadio they might call up brooks like they just signed brooks like uh mm-hmm. just a little while ago actually to i believe a one-year 650k deal now that doesn't necessarily mean brooks like is the guy that just means they're going to need him in, somewhere in the lineup whether it be in the ahl whether it be in the nhl whether they need him as a full-on extra at all times but yeah it's it sucks. It really sucks. And it what it does, it makes you really appreciate this 5-0-1 start because the team is about to go on a road trip that is pretty scary. Uh, the next, I would say the next 12 games are pretty scary if you, if you really look at it. Uh, they have uh, Columbus on Saturday. Then they, go mm-hmm. to, then they go to Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal, Boston, St. Louis, Toronto again at home, Nashville at home. Anaheim, in Anaheim, and then Tampa Bay. Man, that is... Uh, <laughs> it's a murderer's row is what uh, that is. I don't think Mike Milbury, uh, even Mike Milbury couldn't say that's any kind of an easy schedule. And just to talk about that Milbury thing, a lot of Kings were really up, uh, a lot of Kings fans were really upset. I don't see why. I mean, yeah. I, I really wasn't either. I mean, I'm, I'm making a comment about it, but when he said it, I was like, yeah, he's kind of right. I, I mean, mean he Calgary is, he has is. really been the main challenge over th- over the last six games, I would say. I mean, you just have to look at all the team's records, right? That's as simple as that. Look at the records of the teams that we've played against and we've won. You know? You know what it was? I think that's the point he was trying to make. It was the way he said it. Uh, you know, it's the way he said it, right? <laughs> Which is always the case with Which Milbury, right? Which is always right? the it's case a- with Milbury. Uh, he's, I think he said something to the effect of, uh, oh, they're not fooling me. You know, like... Come on, man. Like I understand what you're right. saying, and and in theory, you're right. And it's hard to argue the fact that the Kings have had, I guess, a quote-unquote soft schedule to start. But they can only play the teams they're given. It's not like the Kings sure. went out to look for the teams, you know, whatever. And to say, like, they're not fooling me, it's just classic Milbury condescending, like, whatever. But overall, I, I really didn't take an issue with what he said. It's more how he said it, but 
I'm not going to spend too much time on Mike Milbury. No one really should. Mike Milbury shouldn't spend too much time on Mike Milbury. That's yeah. how bad it is. Yeah, and yet he does. Uh, so more on the Montreal game. I th- we'll circle back, I'm sure, to Carter and all this awful awfulness. Uh, but one thing I've kind of noticed, and not just the Montreal game, the last, I would say, four games, the Kings are really trading chances right now the way they're playing and the free-flowing offense and all that stuff we spoke about last episode is great but i'm now starting to not worry but i'm starting to notice that something that daryl sutter did bring that maybe is going is now moving away from the team is that feeling of you know you're going to get shut down by the kings when they have a lead now granted they didn't have have a lead in the montreal game or anything but I still didn't quite feel that, I don't know, safety, that cushion of knowing that we are going to shut you down. We're not going to trade chances. We're going to sit back and play our game, which from an entertainment perspective is great. You know, let's trade chances. But that Montreal game, man, shots were 42 to 37. Mm -hmm. That is a nutty, nutty stat for this team, the way they've been playing the last few years. Not just... It's not even the 42, right? It's the 37. And it's the fact Mm -hmm. that the other team had 37 and we outshot them. I guess what I want to ask you, and I guess I kind of answered it, is is there any concern when you see, you know, the Kings playing this track meet type of game where it's tit for tat, chance for chance, and leaning on Jonathan Quick a lot more than maybe we have in the past years? Yeah, I mean, certainly there is. Because, again, I I think... I'm encouraged by the offensive ability and the, and the ability to play that kind of track meet game and put up three plus goals, you know, four plus goals some nights now uh, by the Kings. I'm impressed. I, I very much am because I don't think that's the team that I used to seeing, you know, uh, win two cups over the past uh, six, seven years. But, um, but my concern is to, a bit to touch on again god i can't believe we keep coming back to mike milbury but to come back (laughs) to that comment that he made is are you going to be able to play that type of a game against a team that's more offensively talented than you around you know a team that knows how to play that type of game whereas you're still kind of learning how to play that type of game because you mean like toronto coming up twice man that is (laughs) It is going to be a bloodbath. You don't want to do that against that team, man. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, even even against Columbus. I mean, Columbus has found this game um, a very non-John Tortorella game over the last couple seasons where they're playing offensively very strong. They're letting their youth um, kind of take over how they want to play the game. Um, And with guys like Varensky and uh, Lemberg, Foligno, um, Cam Atkinson, like they're just, you know... They're scoring at will against a lot of these teams, which is why they have one of the better records in the league. So I think it's going to be interesting to see that if the Kings can make that adjustment to find that balance between being uh, an offensive team um, but still not giving up all of those grade A uh, offensive chances to their opponents, kind of you know harnessing that defensive ability that made them the team that they were. And in some ways, I wonder if the Carter injury is going to force them to kind of fall back a little bit into the defensive game, because one of the one of the key things that Jeff Carter brings to this team that we suddenly lack is 
not only do you have a solid 1A center, then you could roll out line after line after line and, and cause a matchup problem with the other team, right? Because now you have, if you have both Kopitar and Carter, you have to worry about line one just the same way you have to worry about line two. You have to worry about power play unit one the same way you have to worry about power play unit two because they both have strong, big centers who can carry the puck in, who can control the pace of the game. Now all of a sudden you get rid of Carter, you essentially have one center to worry about. Okay, you have Kopitar to worry about and no one else, quite frankly. Yeah, and you're has, going on the road, right? Where exactly the where you have the, the matchup. Exactly where the opposition gets to put out the second change on any on any whistle, um, and so you take that. Plus, you combine Carter's speed and ability to recover in situations where you know maybe the offense was kind of hemmed down a little lower. They were trying to lower cycle. It didn't quite work out. It's okay, Carter's going to hop on his horse and get back there and get the third man back so long as the defenseman can hold off the initial chance. Now you lose that ability and you don't have a fast, uh, large, you know, uh, big wingspan center like Carter was to be able to get back and help you break up those opportunities. And so can you really afford to gamble in the offensive zone the same way you maybe would have had you had Carter in the lineup? And that's... See, that's why this is this injury is as serious as it is. Um, it kind of goes back to several years ago where Kopitar got hurt in the playoffs. It was like you just knew it's done. You just you completely knew that in a lot of ways it was done because your offense starts and ends through your centers in this league, unfortunately. And for the better part of the last five years, the Kings have had that ability to have it with one A and one B uh, top centers. Um, anytime you get rid of one of them, it makes it so much easier for the other team to shut down your offense. And so I wonder if the Kings have to realize that and maybe focus a bit more on their defensive game and, and start making it a punching match like they have been for the last you know five games that we've seen them win. Yeah, they very well might have to do that. To play a little bit of devil's advocate on myself, I guess, uh, one thing I have noticed in the last few years, uh, pro- maybe throughout his entire career, is that Jonathan Quick seems to play better the more rubber he faces, and I think we've mentioned mm-hmm. this a few times. So in that respect, maybe y- you say the track meet is not the worst idea because our goaltender uh, welcomes you know, 37-shot games, and the more rubber he sees, the more active he is, the better he is. But at the same time, like you said, it's now you, another veteran is out of the lineup. Now, uh, you know, if Brooks like is the guy... He's that veteran now, but if, let's say, Mike Amadio is the guy, now it's even more, you know, thin on your veteran centers that know what to do, right? Like, Adrian Kempe obviously had a big game, but he's still kind of feeling his way through the NHL, and he still has to learn the defensive aspect of the game, and if it's Amadio who's up, then it's, it's probably going to be the same for him. So it's it's worrisome in the sense that if you do go defensive – are they going to be able to carry, you know, Carter's skates? And if you keep going track meet, you don't have the speed, the skill, and, you know, the transition capabilities of a Jeff Carter. And now you're going to lean on Adrian Kempe, who, by all indications, has the ability, but maybe still, again, is figuring out how to be effective in those situations. So it's, man, I, I hope it's not a Jonathan Quick-like injury in terms of the length. Again, everything we say, I think it's going to be hard not to circle back to that injury because it is now what feels like a dark cloud over what has been thus far a fantastic start to the season for the team. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard for it not to define the rest of the season going forward, right? I mean, it's the same thing with the quick injury where he went down in game one and Budai performed admirably, but, you know, it was it just never was the same. It's just never the same. And so you're playing against, you know, all odds. You're, you're trying to win despite going in as as you know an unfavored team immediately i mean these are these are crucial guys in your team these are crucial guys in any team you know you knock out the the second line center on most teams in this league and they're going to have a tough time having a good season um which is disappointing because as as much as we had very low expectations going into this season um to see the team playing as well as they have been and to see them lose Carter now just before they're about to hit this really important road trip, not only for standings or points or whatever, but to, to finally you know get a sense of, okay, is this real? Is this ability and how we've been playing, is this game plan going to work against better opponents or is it only something that we're going to be able to pull off against you know, the bottom barrel teams who have to scrap and claw to even score against us. And so we can play a little loose and it'd be fine. Um, I think that's the most disappointing thing is because now it's like, how do you, how do you even judge the, the rest of the season? Say hypothetically, you don't get Carter back. Okay. Say they hypothetically, which might not be so hypothetical after all, seeing as how the Kings just aren't giving a timeline at all, which should be a bad indication right from the get go. But say you have to go through the rest of the season without Jeff Carter, okay? How do you even judge how this team is built with with you having lost ostensibly one of the most important players on your team? Do you now scramble? Do you wait until December or something like that to think like, man, should we try and get a second line center depending on where we are in the standings? Or do you go out there right now and you try and get a second line center from somewhere and granted, you're going to pay out the nose for it, but do you do it early on? So the hope is that you don't lose this momentum that you've built so far. And, you know, the team is riding high and they're hopeful and they have they have a little bit of drive in them and, and they're happy showing up to the rink and everything. I mean, that can go away so quickly, right? You go on this road trip yep. and say they go two and four on this road trip or something like that. You're right back to where you started. Everyone's thinking, we can't do this without Jeff. We can't do this without a second line center. And the whole season shot. I realize that's like, you know, sky is falling scenario, but that's what happens. That's what happened last year is Budai held it together, but we just weren't the same team for multiple reasons. Yeah. And you know what else is really disappointing is that you look at Jeff Carter's age now and you realize mm-hmm. that number one, he probably doesn't heal the way a 25 year old would heal anymore. Uh, and number two, you could tell that now he's kind of nearing the end of his career. And for him, and I hope this isn't the case, but for him to possibly lose an entire season, coming off a season where he was the Kings' best player by a mile, 32 goals, it's the second best season of his entire career. And then you look around and the core is, you know, we've talked about the core is getting older. And and to just, man, it would hurt so much to almost lose a season like that. For him, for the team, I mean, again, we're... We're going worst case scenario here, and we hope that is not the case. And we hope that even with Carter out, the Kings can still figure out a way to to play well. But that's the part that kind of disappoints me the most for for Carter personally. You know, he's you know they say he's a freak in in the gym in terms of the way he takes care of himself. He's he's a real pro's pro, but 
Ah, yeah, it's frustrating. It's frustrating for the Kings to get out to start like this and to wake up the next morning knowing that, you know, your 1A center is out for what seems to be a, a very significant amount of time. And then, like you said, now you start thinking about trading. And it's I'll segue that into we posted that TNSN insider trading bit from TSN uh, TV. Bob McKenzie was there, Pierre Lebrun. And they kind of spoke about or Pierre Lebrun specifically, mentioned that the Kings have been, I don't know, fishing around or thinking about it internally about moving one of Jake Muzzin or Alec Martinez for a forward. And this is something, I don't think it's necessarily new. I don't think it's, like, breaking news. I think you and I have, you know, discussed this going back to last season mm-hmm. more heavily in the summer. Uh, but, you know, that's a legit source, man. That's Pierre Lebrun. That's not you know, some guy on Twitter with prohockeyrumors.net saying that. That's a legitimate guy who has legitimate connections saying that the Kings are considering doing this. So it ties in now with the Carter thing. Do you go out and dangle one of those two uh, to get, I don't know if you could get a Matt Duchesne, but to get someone who would be a legitimate top six center? I, I sincerely, and I get the idea of being patient. I get the idea of like not overreacting and not paying uh, more than you necessarily have to. But I think in a lot of ways, this road trip is going to be a bit of a, of a litmus test as to where the Kings go from this point, right? Yeah. Because if you go into this road trip and say you come back even playing 500 hockey, maybe there's a chance. Maybe someone will step up. Maybe, you know, uh, Kempe ends up kind of grabbing the bull by the horns and, and becomes that guy that you want him to be, and uh, things are okay. You know, probably not going to be the same way as it would be with Carter, obviously, but maybe it's okay. I don't think anyone's expecting Brooks like to step in and be Jeff Carter, okay? Brooks like is going to be our fourth-line center at best, He's a great guy from all accounts. He's, he's you know, a good soul and hard worker and all those things, but he's not Jeff Carter. Very few players are. And if you're going to try and get a Jeff Carter kind of player out there, you're going to pay a lot for them because teams know you're in a desperate situation. So you have to kind of ask yourself, I think, as the GM, depending on how things go over the next few games, how long do you wait this out? How long do you sit there and see if this team is going to come together versus make the call that, okay, just mulligan on the season. You know, we couldn't have done anything about it. We'll just play the best we can and trade away some assets during the trade deadline if we need to. If we make the playoffs, great. If we don't, then okay, whatever. We'll just see how things turn out once Jeff gets back. Um, Or do you sit there, you watch him play, and you think to yourself, man, this is going better than I could have thought. We need to strike while the iron's hot, keep the momentum going, worry about what it's going to cost us later, and just do something now, like get Matt Duchesne or someone akin to that uh, for the sake of hoping that you can plug and play, and then maybe Carter comes back at the end of the season, the Kings are still in a playoff spot, and all of a sudden you've got Carter and a guy like Duchesne, and, you know, the world is your oyster. Make, you know, pick whatever line you want and throw it out there. You're a contender. It's it's not easy, man. It's no. not easy, and I think it's a big challenge for, for Rob Blake uh, and his staff to figure out which way they want to go about it. And I don't think there's, you know, 
there's a million different ways this scenario can play out. And I don't think anyone's going to be able to tell you what was the right or wrong way until after the fact, unfortunately. Yeah, it's, uh, it was, again, the Kings had the same decision to make with goaltending last season. And yep. ultimately, they got Ben Bishop after Quick came back. And my optimistic side says that, hey, you know, it's it's a guy who's not on the ice 60 minutes like a goaltender. It's a guy that, granted, takes plays very, very significant minutes, very, very important situations. But hopefully, you know, John Stevens, his mantra has been next, next man up when there's been an injury. So hopefully the next man up can admirably <laughs> fill those skates and hopefully the Kings can, you know, the start is so important, right? This 5-1-1 start. Is so so important right now the way things mm-hmm. are shaking out. So if the Kings can be you know slightly above 500 for a little while and then go on some streaks, get hot, uh, and also if the Oilers can <laughs> remain bad, which is not going to happen. I'm l- listen. Um, they're shooting like 47 shots a game. They're firing at will. It's going to balance out. I'm not worried about Edmonton, but Anaheim's injuries. Uh, maybe they keep kind of being mediocre San Jose as well. So you, you expect Vegas to come back down to earth at some point. So it's a combination of hopefully the Kings can power through this injury and hopefully some of the teams that are struggling continue to struggle. And like you said, man, imagine imagine you, you go pick up, and it doesn't have to be Duchesne. Maybe you get a depth center and, you know, the team starts gelling with that new player and then, bonus time man Jeff you know get Jeff Carter around like the deadlines or something and and now you're actually looking at possibly a deep run if the team is playing well so there like you said there's all kinds of scenarios that could shake out honestly I'm not saying we're wasting our time speculating because that as fans is what we do but we're just we don't know let's talk about some other things uh we can't cry about Jeff Carter forever right Sure we can. Yeah, we can. You're right. I plan to. <laughs> yeah. Um, what did you think of Justin Auger? Uh, NHL debut against Montreal. Played on a line with, I believe it was Shore. Yeah, I think they kind of had the hodgepodge because yeah. they were short. Yeah. They were short of forward, obviously. Um, I think, again, he had very limited minutes. But I, I know that when I did see him, he was using his size. He was using his physicality a bit, trying to get into their... Um, and obviously it's a different, it's a different game he's playing when he's out there with Andreoff versus like, if you put him out there with Kopitar and Brown. Um, but I thought it was, you know, he was very impressive in the preseason to say the least. Um, it's always encouraging when you can find a guy with that kind of size, who's got a little bit of everything in his game, a little bit of grind, you know, a little bit of hands, a little bit of, uh, scoring touch, um, do I think he's going to, you know, secure a 100% spot in the roster and never get sent down again? Obviously not, but it's nice it's nice to see the Kings not being afraid to incorporate younger guys in the lineup, you know? Throw them in there, see how it happens even if for a few minutes, give them a cup of coffee and see, you know, if because the only way you're going to be able to tell the difference between one pro game and you know, pro game in the AHL versus in the NHL is by actually playing. And you hear people say it all the time that it's just such a faster game. Uh, at the NHL level, um, and so I think it's 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 nice to see them throwing in there, and I, it's nice to see him not necessarily standing out as like a glaring sore spot on the team, you know? Yeah, totally. And I enjoyed, uh, you know, what it was. I, I I liked a few plays he made. I think he was keeping it as simple as possible, which is probably what every NHL player does in their first game is just let me just keep it simple, not try anything crazy. He made. 
a few good outlet passes on the breakout. He he made a nice little maybe power move to the net that ended up being, I believe, a, a scoring chance for Brown. Uh, I believe he, he uh, or not Brown, sorry, Andreoff in front. Mm-hmm. But it was fine. I think, you know, Johnny Brozinski got sent down. I don't expect that to be uh, something that's permanent. I think Brozinski last season when he got called up was a much better player than what we've seen this year. You know, last season he had chances. He was shooting with confidence. Uh, clearly, he didn't score or anything. But this year, he was completely tentative. I thought he, maybe it's the pressure, maybe it's the butterflies. But sending him down to the rain where he could probably maybe take a breath, get his game back on track, and, and just get back into the routine of being a, a good player. And then bringing him back up, I think that's the correct move. So I think that's really the long play here for the Kings with Auger coming up. And... Guys will be in and out. I'm sure Paul Adu will be up too. But overall, I yes, I, I look forward to seeing Auger play more. I look forward to seeing Brozinski back up. I'm kind of hoping that we do get to see a little bit of Mike Amadio actually, um, even with his like signing and all that. So yeah, it'll be cool. It'll be cool to see those kids come up because so far, especially with Ayafalo, you know, I, I know Foley and Fanberg haven't necessarily come up from the AHL, but they were guys you just didn't expect to have such an impact, sure. right? So, you can't base playing well now, <laughs> you know, after that game. So, it's... I'm yeah, kinda, who can we call out next? Yeah, and, and exactly, make him, exactly. Make him have a fantastic game. Actually, Andy Andrioff needs to get his crap together. And Seriously, Andy, <laughs> come on. <laughs> or, or maybe we'll let Nick Dowd play. Nick, There's another guy who's kind of lost in the shuffle. He's playing extra D-man shifts, apparently. Man, I, I was... <laughs> I read that, and I was like, why? <laughs> what? <laughs> Why can't he just rotate into one of the lines? You're down a forward. I I don't know, man. I don't know. Like, has he fallen that far down the depth chart? I mean, I, I, we were all pretty impressed with Nick Dow, and you know, coming on as a kind of an overage rookie last season, uh, showed us a, a few things. Um, so I don't know exactly what's happened. I haven't, quite frankly, seen him play enough in the few games that we've had to really say like if something has changed in his game or if he's just been passed up by these other guys where now all of a sudden even losing a guy like Carter and, and bumping up every other center where you're at the point where you're going to sign Brooks like from your PTO rather than just let the guy who you have who's already a center and is like just sitting in the press box play? Is it Are, are things that bad with Nick Dowd all of a sudden? Again, we don't know what the like signing... I mean, granted, he was <laughs> taking rushes with defensemen today, so that's kind of a telltale sign, but... I would love to give Nick Dowd a look between Toffoli and Pearson. I mean, just sure. just give Why him not? a look, man. Like he, yes, he after his first month in the league last year, he started kind of slipping, struggling, and we attributed that to a lot of things—the system and all that. Daryl Sutter being possibly one of them, but this guy can pass the puck, and I don't think that you know is going to go away. His defensive game, I think, has gone better. I would. You know, I'd be shocked if it hasn't. I mean, just I would say give him a look. I mean, who else? You could put up Kempe there and maybe put Dowd at three seed. Hey, I'm fine with that too. But I don't. My point is, I don't think Brooks Like should be getting a a spot over Nick Dowd. That's I think right. It's it's all an experiment at this point, right? I mean, your centers are your second line center right now is Nick Shore, so. It's all it's all an experiment. You're just going to throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. And so it's going to change from one game to the next. And so I don't understand why you'd be having Nick Dowd take extra line rushes as, a, as like a seventh defenseman 
as opposed to working him into the lineup as a center where he showed that he could play last season. Unless, I don't know, unless they've seen something in his game that they just don't like anymore and they think that bumping everyone up a line and and bringing in Brooks like to be your fourth line center is, is a better option, which... Man, at that point, you know, what do you what do you do with Dowd? I mean, honestly, do you just send him down and tell him you're never going to be an NHL player? I hope we see more of Nick Dowd. I still believe in him as a player. Uh, and hopefully he gets to get in some games against these very tough Eastern teams that we're about to face, Vardy. So we mentioned it's Columbus, it's Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal, Boston, St. Louis. That's the upcoming road trip. I'm going to go ahead and say we're probably not going to go 5-0-1-1 on this one. Uh, given the fact that Carter's injured, given the fact that the Kings were bound to lose in regulation at some point anyway. I don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think, with all due respect, I don't think they were going to go you know, 10-0-1-2 to start the first 12 games. Even though crazier things have happened, uh, it proved me and wrong. Our tweets would be amazing. Yes. Our end-of-game tweets would continue to just rule all yeah so i'm all for it but i i guess i'm asking what do you foresee on this road trip do you foresee a tough time for the kings maybe you're looking at a 500 road trip maybe they're gonna surprise us without carter and and keep up their winning ways i think if they go 500 you have to consider that a win Absolutely, honestly 100 percent. with with how this is going if they go 500 that is 100 percent a win now you look at the opponents that they have um montreal and boston stand out as the as the possible as the more more likely opponents that they can win montreal for obvious reasons you know we've displayed that we we can beat them and quite frankly a lot of patient uh, a lot of people are beating them right now um boston isn't quite gotten their game together yet rask is you know letting in a lot of goals and so those two stand out as the ones that you think they'd be more likely to win. Yeah, and, um, and think, Rask, actually, he took a collision in practice and left. Oh, did he? So, yeah, okay. so his, his status is now uncertain moving forward. Sweet. So so you could Perfect. get, I don't even know who their backup is. Yeah. Is Andrew Raycroft still playing? <laughs> I kid, I kid. Is, is it Anton Kudobin? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think it is. It might, it might be Kudobin. Anyway, yeah, um, so... so yeah, and, and you expect Price to play in that Montreal game too, right? So sure, it's at home sure. and he'll probably get that game. So I agree with you though. 500 would be great coming out of that. These are good teams. St. Louis is on fire. Ottawa's playing well. Ottawa before us was one of the last teams to lose in regulation. Toronto is playing 80s Oilers hockey where they have no issue allowing four or five goals and scoring six or seven. Uh, and like you said, Columbus is is a well-balanced team. I think they're really finding their identity last year, this season. So I'm going to say the Kings will go 500. Vardy, how about that? I'm going to say they're going to go 500 on this road trip, which uh, we will take gladly. So who do, you, who do you think three teams are? It's six games, right? Am yes. I right about that? It's six-game road correct, trip? Correct, correct. So who are, the, who are the three teams they will beat and who are the three they will lose against? Um, I think they're going to beat Ottawa, Montreal, and Boston, three in a row. Yeah, I'd say that's that's pretty much my thoughts as well. Yeah, I think Columbus is going to hand us our, our first loss in regulation. I just think it's there's too much going on <laughs> in that game uh, for us to pull it off, I think, unfortunately. Yeah, I think so too. I think, And then you go into Toronto. Toronto, 
The, another, see, Toronto's a funny team, though. They're, if, if the Kings play well defensively and they don't get lost in that track meet game, they can, you know, reasonably shut them down. They're, they're fast, they're good. But at the same time, the Kings, again, this is a new team, new system, but the Kings historically have really, really kind of bored these teams out of the building, right, when they wanted to. These fast-paced sure. teams, like, they've had a knack of, look at last season, Toronto was, you know, one of the best stories. And we beat them 3-0 at home, didn't we? 7 nothing in Toronto. That one game where we just lit them up <sighs> yeah. and Dwight King That's had right. a couple and <laughs> Jeff Carter had a few. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. New team, new system. So, give me 500. Yeah, I said those three games. But again, I wouldn't be surprised if the Kings go into, let's say, Columbus and and squeak one out. Wouldn't be surprised if they squeak one out against Toronto. Wouldn't be surprised if they squeak one out against St. Louis. But we'll see. We'll see. It's going to be a new it's... team without Carter. And it's not going to be easy. So, yeah. So, we're obviously trying to do this a little more frequently. This, this uh, you know... Games are coming at us fast. Things are happening fast now that the regular season has started. And so we'll try to do this as uh, as frequently as we can. And, and quite frankly, you know, it's it's nice to recap three games at a time because so much happens. Um, even though we kind of neglected the Buffalo game and the and the Islanders game. But come on. Come on. We all we all know the Montreal game is where the money was at. So I will say though, how about that save by quick on Seth Griffith right? on the paddle? That was and how about how about the little defensive play by uh, Forburton, Jeff Carter? Damn it all to hell! You got to um, grind through, no. grind through. <laughs> Great play at the end there. I'm not sure if they did tip it, but they certainly forced Tavares to to take a bad shot there with uh, with you know less time than he probably had uh, and missed the gaping open net for the Kings to get the win there. Again, bend, don't break. A little scary, but win's a win, I suppose. Yeah, and so. Darcy Kemper. Uh, Pretty good showing. Game. Pretty good showing for him. I mean, he he doesn't have to be spectacular. Again, it's and I think to a certain degree there might be that feeling with the team that it's Kemper in that and not Quick today. So let's kind of maybe tighten up just a little bit. I I think I saw some of that in the Islanders game. Nothing again. Nothing where you would be like it's a completely different game. But I think that would be a fair assessment to say that the Kings were a little sure. tighter in the in the New York game. And he does again. If the Kings play that that way, he doesn't have to be spectacular, just solid. And the Kings historically have done very, very well with kind of these journeyman goaltenders who who come over to the Kings and work with Bill Ranford and all the coaches and and simplify their game. So, hey, uh, I'll take you know Darcy Kemper and Jonathan Quick over Peter Budai and Jeff Zakoff <laughs> in any day of the week in any lifetime. So. <laughs> Yeah, happy, happy I think I agree with that. <laughs> Good for Kemp's. All right, guys, that that's it for us. <sighs> it was a tough one, tough one to get through. The Kings are still looking good. Uh, hashtag thoughts and prayers, Jeff Carter. That's right. What was the what was the Dwight Howard? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dwight Howard about Gordon Hayward brutal injury. I have nothing to say, but I think Dwight Howard's tweet was, "Lord, carry him now." And uh, we kind of tongue-in-cheek, having a little fun. We, we tweeted the same thing out for Jeff Carter. Yeah, hopefully he's okay. Hopefully the Kings are okay. Hopefully we can do this podcast in another three games. Uh, keep watching. Keep listening. Keep looking for us on Twitter, and you'll find out. So for the Bannerman, 
I'm Kato, he's Vardy. This has been episode 9, the Adrian Kempe episode, I guess, fittingly. Oh, oh. We'll see you guys next time.